On this episode, episode number one, we're going to talk about the inception of Kinetic Concepts, how it came about, why we are here, and what we have planned for the future. A well-placed swarm will force the enemy into the open. Being in those types of situations, being comfortable operating in those types of situations. You try to kind of get away from like the status quo of like, let's do it the same way that it's always been done. You have to be honest with yourself and your teammates. 118, tell this my family alone. I can't copy. 118, tell our family alone. We got crews coming. Former teammates of mine, I guess you could say, but current teammates of the Kinetic Concepts organization. So what is Kinetic Concepts? Kinetic Concepts is a tactical and firearms training organization that was created to assist and train officers on the street as it relates to their job in particular. So we're going to talk about how Kinetic Concepts came about. It's important. Right. Everybody has a beginning, you should say. So basically, kinetic concepts and training organization aspect, something that I kind of always wanted to do. And as time goes on and I get older, I believe that if I did not actually go forward and do do this thing that I wanted to do, I would look back and regret it. Right. Some people get to that portion of their life and have that thought or idea. I didn't want that to be me. So as myself, Jake and Zach would be working together on a team and doing things at work, we would have these conversations amongst ourselves as it relates to tactics, as it relates to marksmanship. And we thought that this would be a valuable conversation to have with anybody who's interested in such things. So first, we're going to talk about the meaning of kinetic. Zach, (laughs) what is the meaning of kinetic that you told me about? You just asked if I knew what it meant, and I said movement, um, which I think is a very dumbed-down version. Uh, Yes. Not the scientific version, maybe. Not the scientific version, no. Yes, and I I actually knew of the the name kinetic, and I didn't know that that part. I didn't know the actual meaning, I guess I could say. I've heard people say, like, going kinetic, you know? Right. Uh, And, you know, it usually is involving like gunfire in my opinion but uh i think in the way that you envision it's a little bit different sure so i actually had to google it to make sure i had it right but kinetic essentially is a euphemism for combat operations or combat warfare and it actually first showed up in a book i believe in 2002 as it relates to the iraq war and the conflict overseas and since that point forward it has been used by military leaders and politicians etc so that's where the name kinetic comes from and it doesn't necessarily mean movement i guess you could say right it's not the merriam webster's yeah i don't know i don't know if it's in there haven't looked you can google it and find it the word kinetic is in there but not in the way that you're probably exactly so now we're going to talk about the logo symbolism so people may not know or they ask me And I've put it out there on the Instagram a few times, but it makes sense to just kind of have a brief discussion about the logo and the reason why I chose the logo, how I came up with it. And I knew that when I started the company and I started the brand, I wanted to pick something that didn't necessarily scream tactical skull crusher marksman something or other like every kind of other organization that's out there. So something that was you know easily identifiable and something that kind of symbolized intelligence, right? Something that you could look at and kind of, you know, 
ask yourself, what is the meaning of this thing? And as you look farther into it, you know, that's what we're going to explain here. So Jake has a story (laughs) (laughs) that is kind of funny. And, and so as I sit there and I try to Google what are smart, you know, images, you know, that's pretty difficult to do. Right. Um, and somehow or another, I came upon the the logo or the idea and it resonated with me because one day in the office Jake had come in and he was talking about bees and yeah. well get get down to it um i was having a conversation with my dad and he has this hobby of his well he has many hobbies and what he was really interested at the time when he still does it today is that he has a bunch of bees that he takes care of and beekeeper you might yeah a beekeeper on for a for a hobby and he has this little location that he has them at has several hives well anyways you know talking to him about it it really there's a lot to it especially with bees themselves like things that i really didn't know at the time and i was just kind of like randomly came in the office and started telling the guys about it and how like one of the things like i didn't know that like a beehive they'll have like you know there's different terms for the different types of bees males and females and they all have different roles and they have these scout bees that that's not the term for it but i'm just saying they have these bees that fly away from the hive for you know miles at a time and then they come back they're able to navigate back to the hive and then they do this little dance in front of the hive and that's communicates for us? <laughs> <laughs> that communicates just by their movement and i think there's some other things that are going on but they're able to communicate to the hive where that bee was at and how to get there and how far is that you, uh, for you? miles like right. i mean i think they you know three miles a bee travels doing their thing their their bee things and um, they're able to communicate Business. that Another thing I was telling them, like, you know, they're able to keep the temperature at a certain temperature in the hive, no matter what the outside temperature. So it could be below freezing and they're keeping it around like, I think it's 90 something degrees inside the hive. And if it's 120 degrees outside, they're still able to keep it at that um, certain temperature. And and the different roles, I was telling them about the different roles the different bees have, you know. So there's a lot of intelligence going on. There's a lot of, you know, communicating, a lot of movement. And, uh, yeah. And it was, it was, and the guys were like, what is Jake talking about? But obviously Brad took interest to it. The, yeah. the honey, the honey colored light bulb went off in your head. Not at the time, but um, I remember looking at Zach and going, "What is this guy talking about?" Like, <laughs> we're trying like, this to, is every day. We're, we're, the things the that are talked about in yeah. the office, you know, or the team room, or whatever you want to call it. But. Yeah, it's like we're trying to get after it. this guy's talking about bees. You know, like what's <laughs> going on? So that is how the logo came about. Basically, um, the logo has been changed from its original, um, I guess you would call picture. I uh, kind of did some things to it to make it what it is, and, and that's what it is, and that's what it symbolizes. So basically, Jake is saying bees are smart, right? <laughs> bees are intelligent. Yeah. And like bees. Thinkers. Yeah, and like bees and like the intelligence and, and being a thinker, um, as we go on here and you hear us talk, and if you're at all involved in our social interests, uh, the website or the Instagram or the YouTube or whatever the case is, you will see that as a common uh 
teaching point, right? Uh, not necessarily does it have much to do with, you know, tactics, although it does, and not necessarily does it have much to do with marksmanship, although it does. But a lot of the time, we can make better decisions to put ourselves in better positions so that we can get predictable outcomes, right? Exactly. So, again, with more into the B thing, you know, thinking, okay, kinetic, you know, euphemism for, for warfare, um, and then the logo symbolizing strategy essentially and being smart and making good decisions and intelligence, I put those two things together and just kind of assumed or figured that this was probably a thing that was something that happened. And I said, Googled, how were bees used in war? Right. And so, you know, I, when I did that, I of course found things that from the past, maybe ancient times or whatever they may be where, Bees were actually used in times of war. So they would actually set bees, bees' nests, that hives, maybe? Uh, hives? Right. What's a nest? The nest is a smaller bee. Uh, like <laughs> the mud daubers or something. <laughs> okay, so the hive, right? So they would set hives on catapults and they would launch them into towards the enemy, right? And, you know, yeah, it's pretty, pretty rad for reasons of forcing the enemy out into the open, right? And so obviously when you're out in the open, you're vulnerable. And again, Right. So one of the things that I found is a well-placed swarm will force the enemy into the open. And then again, keeping with that, I'm thinking, well, how does this relate to law enforcement and tactics? And, you know, in our jobs and what we do, knowing the tactics that we know, that is kind of our goal. Right. Uh, we want to be in a position of domination and the, the bad guy to be in a vulnerable position. So if we can place ourselves accordingly, again, we could get predictable outcomes that are in our favor. So another thing that I found is the buzz alone may cause the average person to panic, right? And as we know, bad guys don't necessarily like police officers all that much, and just our presence alone can cause them to do things which, you know, can be to our advantage, right? So a well-placed swarm will force the enemy into the open, and the buzz alone may cause the average person to panic. Those are two things that I found that I thought are very relatable. So now we're going to talk about why you know, we started Kinetic Concepts, and we're going to get a little bit into that. Basically, what we saw and observed is a disconnect between maybe what a lot of companies are teaching and how it relates to the officer on the street. Zach, do you want to talk a little bit about your perspective and what you've seen? Yeah, so, I mean, I think now... With the social media age, like the thing is, is like you got to be flashy or you got to like have some explosions or some cool music or <clears throat> use some, you know, um, analogy or buzzwords or something to like really grab people's attention. And I don't know if that's just like the times that we live in now or what it is, but um, <clears throat> you, you see a lot of these classes, a lot of them are geared towards shooting or marksmanship or the big one now is like everybody's teaching some kind of like CQB class. And from my experience doing, doing the job, um, you find that especially like, yes, marksmanship is important, but typically you're not going to be in some like static shooting position, you know, range type scenario where you're just standing threat focused, draw at the buzzer and shoot. Um, it's going to be a little bit, you know, more difficult than that. And then also the CQB piece of it, like 
<clears throat> in my experiences, CQB, if, if you're making entry into a residence or a building or something like that, it's usually like you'd think that there's nobody there or else your supervisor's probably not going to let you go into it. Um, and then if you do think there is somebody in there and they're not coming out, there's probably going to be someone more, more specialized in their training that's going to get to come in to do that for you. So just trying to find things that are relevant to the actual everyday officer on the street and trying to train them in something that's going to potentially save their lives or put them in a, in a position to win these outcomes. Right. So a higher, maybe things that are just higher likelihoods, right? right? So as you're looking at, if you were an instructor or you had your own organization and you were going to pick things that you thought were going to benefit officers most, um, of course, you know, everybody is free to do their own thing, but just in our, from our point of view, we're collectively, it's, well, what are, pro- what are the problems that cops are facing? And it's not that they'll never use CQB, of course, right? Because CQB, there are things within CQB and the principles and, you know, I think that you're going to use certainly no matter what, even if you're not, maybe you're in a house and you're there for a certain reason, um, but you haven't got to the point where you're ready to actually start doing, you know, CQB per se. But I think what you're, you're explaining, you're talking about flashy things and explosions and gunfire and all that stuff. And I think what, what it kind of comes down to, and this is just the reality of, I guess we call it the industry maybe, is it's more focused on entertainment, right? Um, entertainment over maybe reality because I think, I, because of information, because I think at the end of the day, and maybe and we don't know this to the fullest extent yet, but we'll, we'll start to see it as time goes on, um, entertainment is a selling point, right? It sells, it attracts, and that's what brings people in. Um, And it's not that they can't be entertained and learn at the same time. Um, It's just that maybe things that are being, you know, taught or developed are more geared towards bringing people in for something not, uh, something other than learning, maybe, right? Because, when you start talking about entertainment and bringing people in, now we're gonna now you start talking about money, and money is something that is important to a lot of people, right? Um, so that is why we have developed some of the things that we've developed and are going to continue to develop, because we want to make sure that the things that we are developing, the things that we're talking about, and the classes that we have are relatable to the officers on the street and. It's the thing that is a higher likelihood that's going to be the case, right? So we're going to get into a few of the classes that we have currently and some future classes that we have coming up. And I think we'll spend a little bit more time on those classes because we kind of got through some of this pretty quickly. Uh, But first, we'll talk about high-risk vehicle encounters. Um, We'll talk about what that is. So everybody's heard of felony stop, um, but there are instances where it's kind of a, it's a felony stop, but it's not really called that because maybe the person's on foot, right? Like, what do we call what do we call somebody that potentially committed a felony, but they're on foot? I mean, do they call those felony stops? I don't think so. Open air takedowns, or, right? I mean, we kind of coined the phrase like the high risk from that, but yeah, yeah, it doesn't the felony stop makes me think specifically applies to someone being in a vehicle, right? And of course. Felony stop, you know, there's a process for completing that task, of course. Uh, but a high-risk vehicle encounter, the vehicle being your vehicle, the high-risk portion of it is, I mean, it could be a known person who has committed a felony offense um, or 
a known person who is a fugitive. Um, they could have, they could be in a parking lot and had been reported to have, have a gun. I mean, there's a number of different things that really hits on a, a lot of different things because you do have specialized units who do specialized things. They, they're, you know, after known fugitives or they're watching things happen in progress or whatever, versus you have also your patrol officers who are responding to something. They're being called somewhere and are arriving and trying to locate a suspect. Um, so, but the technique remains the same. And I think that's what a big thing as far as when we developed this is that we want it to be something that could be pretty much universally applied to the most elite specialized guys down to the street cop that just started, you know, last week. Right. And so when when we are when we have this class and and we host this class through the TTPOA and you know we'll host it outside of there as well, we really try to make the scenarios because it's a scenario based class with simunition. We try to make the scenarios relative to the officer and what it is they are actually going to encounter on the street. Um, some officers may be in a specialized unit where they really only do specialized things, and therefore we have scenarios that they could relate with, you know, very well. And then we have patrol officers, which obviously we know what they do and what they get into, and that covers a wide variety of things. But at the end of the day, all of our classes and the high-risk vehicle encounters class is is there to put you in a position to get predictable outcomes like we like we keep saying it's there to give you a process to get you in a position where you can make better decisions with a high degree of accountability that is the high-risk vehicle encounters class basically right (laughs) without going into too much detail because you know i don't say we want the students to be surprised necessarily but we don't want to say everything on here um but that course in particular was developed, I guess, over, I mean, how long were you guys, you know, essentially doing that? I mean, before me, maybe. Yeah, right? we've been doing that kind of stuff for probably like six years now. Like, I mean, and I mean, to a degree on, on patrol stuff longer, even longer than that. But, you know, like, it's just, it's something that we, we've done. We've had a lot of experience in and just, you know, we, we talk about it the way that you get better and the way that these things kind of come about, you try to kind of get away from like the status quo of like, let's do it the same way that it's always been done. And it's, you sit there and you try to, you you have to be honest with yourself and your teammates. And something that we've done is we do the the hot wash after we do some kind of high profile, you know, event and try and be as honest, you know, this isn't a place for people to get their feelings or it's places that, we could potentially get shot in the face if we make a mistake, you know. So I think it's important that we're honest with each other. And just kind of from there we've developed, okay, well, you know, like let's think about this. Is there a better way to do this, a way to get to a position of domination faster to where we're going to more more than likely, you know, have the drop or, or, you know, be faster through this process than the the bad guy is? Because every – at the end of the day, that's what we really care about, right? We really care about engagements, you know, as it relates to gunfire, because that's where we get killed. Um, and anything that kind of happens outside of that, where nobody gets hurt and, and rounds are being fired, you know, kind of administrative in, in a sense, right? I mean, there's important aspects to all things policing, you know, defensive tactics and all that stuff. But 
in particular, this class and our other classes are really about being involved in that, you know, kinetic confrontation, right? And how we can have a higher likelihood of success. And so, you know, back to the CQB, right? Police officers get into a lot of shootings inside structures, but they're not necessarily or almost ever doing CQB when that's happening, right? Uh So they might be responding to domestic domestic. or something like that. You're in there, you know, talking to somebody and it's go time for the bad guy. And and now what do you do? Right. And I think, you know, and if you look, if you just go online and you Google, you know, maybe the last 20 officer involved shootings, they're probably doing occurring in three, you know, separate places in or around their vehicle on a foot pursuit or near a structure in a structure but not actually doing CQB while it's happening because actually most cops don't know how to do CQB, right? Yeah, it's true. Or get training on it or at least, and, and definitely don't get enough training on it to be proficient at it, right? There's certain, certain police officers do because they have the opportunity because we know that different organizations within agencies sometimes just get more training, right? For whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, how we look at it is every engagement is a test of speed and accuracy, right? Doesn't really matter how you cut it. That's really the goal. So you could be in the holster, you could be at the low ready, um, you could be moving to contact because, you know, there's an active shooter going on, um, or you could be in a vehicle, in a high-risk vehicle encounter, and he's already on foot and you're in your car and that's a problem, right? So how do we mitigate that problem? And that's where the high-risk vehicle encounters Class originated is a tactic that we were doing, and we're getting very um, good outcomes doing it. And actually, just really understanding how I, you know, how comfortable we we became in getting to that position really quickly, and having essentially maybe the drop on the bad guy before he had an opportunity to do anything at all, right? Uh, because in law enforcement, we're always behind the curve. And anything that we can do to put ourselves ahead of the curve or as close to it is definitely where we want to be, right? I think the beauty of it is that it's not it's nothing that's unattainable for any officer, you know? Like, it's not like we're – it's not some kind of, like, gymnastic thing that you've got to, you know, be in really good shape to do. And, I mean, all these things help. But it's something that it's a can be applied to, to everybody. Um, and, I mean, it's not it's – not, difficult to wrap your head around once you've been exposed to oh well this like makes sense like the light bulb just comes on like oh like why are we not already doing this like you know exactly and one of the you know the big things that we talk about in that class is we we educate the officers on the inconsistencies of shooting through their windshield which is quite frankly a problem um in terms of just go ahead on youtube and search officer shoots through windshield and and, and, and the videos that you see, and, and if, if agencies are teaching that um, under certain conditions, those are not the conditions the cops are usually shooting through their windshield on, right? And yeah, I mean, usually I think the, the times where tr- in training where people are, are saying that this is acceptable is like a true ambush. Like you have zero response time. Like you, this is something that was unexpected encounter that somebody came upon you and brought the fight to you versus kind of what we're talking about is like we know – that we're going into this encounter, let's prep ourselves to be ready for violence if it if it comes. 
because we don't believe that and we don't believe in doing anything that is going to delay us and essentially, you know, putting accurate rounds where they need to be if that does need to happen. So if we are going to waste time, seconds, you know, several seconds, doing something that we don't know is going to work, to me that's an issue, right? So we need to solve the problem as quickly as possible. So now we're going to talk about exploiting accuracy. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the inception of exploiting accuracy because it falls in line with the inception of you know all of our courses and how they come about. But essentially, again, it's identifying a problem that officers are having and coming up with a solution to the, to the problem. And what we most often see is that officers are shooting too much and they're missing too often. And the question really becomes a question of why that's the case. And again, if you just even just go observe for yourself, you can tell based on officer's gunfire that it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, right? So Jake, could you just talk about in situations where it's obvious where maybe the officer is doing something that doesn't quite line up with his, you know, firing time, you know, how many rounds he's firing in a certain amount of time? Well, just uh, hit on like a the overall general issue is like you have two competing, not competing. You have two things that need to be trained on, you know, extensively to prepare yourself for a potential kinetic situation. And you have the marksman marksmanship side, and then you have the other side to it, which is like the tactics that go into it, the mindset and then uh, just being in those type of situations, being comfortable operating in those type of situations. Um, the marksmanship side, th we all believe that that's a forever journey, especially as a professional carrying a gun, that you should always be, you know, on the range and improving your marksmanship and improving that. And, um, improving your ability to apply marksmanship yeah, at, a high level, at a high level, always increasing your speed without sacrificing accuracy. Uh, right. And, and that is typically we see that, you know, a you know, other agencies or whatnot, um, at the Academy, it's, it's a slow fire. It's, 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 um, very accuracy based, and what we see, you know, from body-worn cameras from all over the country, it's a very quick, very uh, violent incident, and a lot of rounds are being fired in a short amount of period of time. And there is a way to have the skills to have both, to have speed and accuracy. And, you know, you can get a lot of that from the practical world, from the competition world, what they're doing. And that isn't necessarily being taught at academies and to officers, um, you know, walking around on the street. So um, you have that side of it. And then you have the mindset, you know, and that's a, it's a big um, topic. You know, people have their opinions on the mindset piece, but that is a definitely a factor when it in these incidents that officers maybe don't have the right mindset going into a situation. They're not postured correctly. And that um, puts them even further behind the curve when the criteria unfolds before them that lethal force needs to be used. And, and, that, and 
if that we see more often than not that that um, what happens is marksmanship doesn't even get um, come into play Never at that point. There's there there's a lot of emotional gunfire taking place, and we believe. I mean, that's a two two headed concept. There, you need to improve your marksmanship with speed and accuracy and movement. But at the same time, you need to have the right mindset. You need to have the right, be in the right position to be ready sooner rather than having to do all that faster, depending on what's going on in front of you. And that's what the exploding accuracy class goes over. It's not only the marksmanship side, but it's everything else that we see causes officers' issues. Have a process. So we talk about a lot. Yeah. Um, as far as w- whatever it is that you're going to do in, in the policing world, if you're going to do a, a vehicle, you know, a high-risk vehicle stop, like you, you need to have a process for getting yourself ready for that encounter. Just like with this other, the other course is, you know, you can go into whatever scenario you want to, um, you know, guys on patrol could go to a domestic and it's a civil deal and nothing ever happens. And I think that's kind of what happens a lot of times people kind of get, you know, complacent, you gotta get lulled and it's not necessarily being like hyper vigilant or, you know, like I always gotta have my hand on my pistol or whatever, but it's just once that that thing starts to, to roll downhill is this is gonna be some kind of violent like do you have a process to get there? Yeah. And so we're gonna talk a lot more in the future about mindset. We're gonna talk more about a lot more about posture. We're gonna talk more about process, having a process which all of those things get you to tactics and then which ultimately leads to marksmanship. And if you can have the right mindset, mindset, assume the correct posture, understand what your process is for getting there and tactics, then when you get to the, the, the opportunity to apply marksmanship, it all kind of comes together, right? And it increases your chances of, again, getting predictable outcomes, the outcome that you expect to get with a high degree of accountability. So exploiting accuracy is essentially a class where we give the students the physiological responses to stress, induce the physiological responses to stress, and demand accuracy in the process. And that might seem like a trivial idea, but how many officers after the academy, if they got it in the academy at all, I'm not sure, expose themselves to situations like that in training maybe not expose themselves even but are forced to be exposed well i think the difference is is a lot of times i've taken classes where they try to mimic that through other ways like ptu or you know do push-ups or burpees or whatever and and try to like elevate your heart rate but it's to me it's very much different like inducing this due to my own physical activity versus like having a response to something that's happened is I think very different. Um, and then just, you know, trying to, to work through that in different ways. Yeah. So again, identifying a problem, cops typically are shooting too much and missing too often. And, and what we believe and are finding this to be very true is that officers aren't necessarily getting to the marksmanship part because they don't know how to control the physiological response to stress occurring in their body. And I think it's a very telling idea when you take cops that you know can shoot, because we've seen them, Mm -hmm. and then we put those same cops in these situations, 
and you know we eliminate all the things that make marksmanship difficult right and these are very achievable things uh these are very achievable distances to be hitting where we should be hitting bad guys and they are often well they basically go they shoot 30 30 percent basically um in in the desired areas where we want to hit which is unacceptable right under most standards and we should at least at a minimum hold ourselves to a range standard right uh, um jake what do you think about uh, that and and the standard um relating to the range and how it, we apply that in in real life you have to in that situation believe that your most beloved loved one is behind that bad guy when you have to go when you have to use lethal force and if you have that high degree of accountability then you are going to do um you're going to have the right posture and mindset even beforehand to achieve that and then once you are in the you know the the lethal part you're you're not you're going to most likely not just go off of emotional you know stuff and actually find your sights and um deliver what needs to be delivered um yeah and so it kind of falls back on mindset too, which is what we talk about in the class. But literally, we're basically telling you what to think about when you should be thinking about it. And if you can do that, the the chances of you achieving what you're trying to achieve are pretty pretty high. Yeah. So if we see cops on on the range that we know can shoot all day long at seven yards, high A zone hits without any deviation from that so whether we make them pt or we uh, you put them on a timer they're consistently doing that and then we remove those same cops and put them in a situation where we induce the physiological responses to stress and they are completely missing and definitely not getting high a zone hits to me it seems like marksmanship isn't necessarily the problem right right and another thing i think well, this is really cool about this is just the data points that we're collecting like maybe I'm the nerd here, but I'm not necessarily a numbers guy per se, but I just think it's very interesting to, to sit there and we have all these data points to collect. We ask them about their experiences, um, the, the length of service that they have, if they've been in critical instance before, and then we collect the the marksmanship numbers as well, like how many rounds they fired, uh, what were acceptable hits, what were preferred hits. And then like we have, there's clear data that shows that what we're doing is, is improving them, you know, from one scenario to the next. Uh, I just, I, I like the fact that we're collecting the data to be able to prove it long-term, you know, like the, it's hard to argue with like, here, you can look at it, you know? Exactly. It's, it's not necessarily like a thought process or a, a, a train of thinking. It's there will have results to be able to back that up. Right. And, and, and back to the training aspect of it, because we talked about when our officers, I mean, just, Find me five police officers on the street, or ten. We'll just do, it doesn't matter the number you find. But they've been on for five years, and ask them how many situations they've been in in the simunition situation where they were the actual shooter. Yeah, that's a good point. That you know, a lot of the training is, um, you know, we have a a certain time period, a time block, and you have a certain amount of officers that are receiving the training, depending on what the scenarios are. You may not even be, yeah, you're going through the training, but you may, you may not be that guy that's actually shooting or in that stressful situation or whatever it is. So you may be there present, but you're not actually 
in that role to do it. And that's through several reps because there's 15, 20 guys in the class. And just the way it's set up, you may not be in that specific situation. So you can say, yeah, I've been through the training, but you were not the guy delivering those rounds and you weren't the guy in that situation to experience it and to feel it and to do it. Another thing, too, is that a lot of times we're not necessarily holding them accountable for the rounds they're firing, right? Like you got three officers that shoot. One guy hits the bad guy with a Sims round. He fills it through a jacket, and he, he goes down or whatever. You're talking like, about usual training, though, not our training. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that's a, a big thing, too, is is not only are you the guy that's pulling the trigger and you're the one that's experiencing everything, but you're also we're also holding you accountable for it. Yeah, and I also think, too, if, if that's the case, if an officer goes through a training somewhere and, and like you said, they maybe hit, maybe they don't, and – but how how far is that discussion happening, right, after the fact? Oh, it, you need to tighten that up. Yeah. Right. And, next, next one. Yeah, yeah ne- next one. And not one. only that, the conversation of, okay, you're shooting a Sims pistol or a rifle, and it needs to be hammered home that obviously it's not recoiling like a real rifle or pistol. And I, that's, that discussion's never talked about um, that, hey, you need to con- have a conscious thought that this is – your real firearm shooting live rounds when you're really shooting Sims rounds. So you need to be holding the gun with your grip properly to support whatever um, sequence that you you fire with, you know, because uh, with the Sims, you can get away with a lot more than you can, you will with a, you know, live weapon. So, and I also think too, even if the, if, even if that conversation was a conversation after the fact, it would be a conversation about, maybe that though right it would be a conversation about the co- the officer might say well i my trigger finger i you know put too much on the trigger if you know or i well oh, I, I wasn't gripping the gun right when really that might not be the case at all mm-hmm. it actually may be that you just weren't actually tr- you know, like physically trying to apply the fundamentals because your mind was somewhere else mm-hmm. um and so because officers don't normally get a chance to do that now we've done that on our own right we've took it upon ourselves to put ourselves in those positions and train ourselves um, so we do get a lot of time behind the trigger in those types of environments. But me in particular, I do way more of it probably than most officers do. Mm-hmm. But even to my experiences, and I know, and I have a lot of them where I go through a training week or a training day, and maybe we do eight different scenarios on four different levels of a building and it just so happens that you might not be the guy that pulls the trigger that day. Um, and I, I know of a couple where that's been the case. Um, and so, you know, now we're going to talk about this term habituation and what that means. So habituation is essentially in, in the kinetic concepts version that isn't scientific in any way mm-hmm. is, is getting used to things that are occurring within the environment. And the example that I've used in the past is when I grew up, I lived right next to the railroad tracks and slept through the night all the time, right? Didn't even, day, night, never heard the train, right? Because you just become so used to hearing it that it's just something that's happening. And so that is an example of habituation, but it can also be your sight, your smell, and your hearing, right? Um, You know, Jake overseas and myself overseas, you know, when you first get there, there's probably some smells and some things like that that are not normal. But then after time, you kind of get used to it, right? Mm -hmm. 
So that's what habituation is. And I have sort of taken that terminology and applied it to exploiting accuracy in something that I call deliberate habituation, right? And so deliberate habituation is, is there's a difference, right? So I'll put it in a policing scenario perspective. If Zach goes to 10 active shooter scenarios in, well, we won't put a time on it because that's probably never happened. <laughs> you probably haven't hit 10 yet even. How, how many years, that's a good, that's a good point. How many years have you been on and, or how many years, yeah, and, and how many sim 10, active shooters? How many active shooter? I mean, I, I will say like the frequency has increased more Lately, recently yeah, yeah, with like higher profile stuff happening, but we're probably still under 10, like dedicated, like start to finish. What about days? How many days have you spent on active shooter? Because I can think of, well, not it's not a fair question for me necessarily, but yeah, um, I can, I, when I was on patrol or was, I was in the position that you guys were in, I know of like one class that I had to take or two maybe. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, six year period, right? And so how good do you actually become? How, how much do you actually, how much do you actually habituate yourself to an active shooter in that time period? Like the, I think the biggest thing is like trying to remember what it is I'm supposed to be doing. Like the, the tactics change from a CQB setting to an active shooter setting. And like, I think the biggest thing is like, I feel like I, at the, at that time I was like lucky if I remembered like, okay, like we're not, you know, going to take each door, you, you know, we're going to move to the threat. And that's like a, something that you got to wrap your head around. And so, you know, I feel like a lot of times, like you're lucky if you just remember like, one thing from the training, not necessarily even uh, your performance during the training, like just trying to remember the tactics that you were taught. Right. And so if, and so we talk about habituation. So if there is a time period that you could put on it where you could spend doing a particular thing and we'll just use active shooter, for example, I mean, I think it's actually more character and not say genetic isn't the right word, but certain people well, certain people are into that kind of thing, right? And just in terms of like policing and and wanting to be in those positions and wanting to familiar familiarize yourself with them. And when you do get an opportunity to be there, it's maybe like an exciting thing, not real life, but training, right? It's like an exciting thing. And you're kind of having a good time. Where maybe other officers, you know, that they don't, they're, want, to do this at all. They don't want to do it. They're not really having a good time. In fact, like they might be in the back. They might try to stay to the back. That's another thing, too, is I think that a lot of time, like, the ones that need it the most are the ones that don't get it. Um, and not to say, like, I think that the, that anyone can improve upon things. Like, if you are below par in some certain area, I think that after, like, if you train it enough, you can get to the level that you need to be. But I feel like a lot of times that there's, especially, like, when you're doing these trainings, like, within your department or whatever, um, these are people that you work with. And so they're, you're, they're going to see your performance. And if you're really bad at it like i think there's a, a little bit of hesitancy from people that like maybe need to get in there and get more reps or like i'm really bad at this and that's embarrassing i'm gonna just stay in the back and so i feel like uh, it just yeah. it, 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 it's like a perpetuation thing and the other other side of it too is you have you go through that mandated course you know that the a department may put on but the sustainment process of that what you were taught like you know if you're on a team and you go to a course uh, some teams have certain um, leadership or whatever that will um, provide an environment where you can work on what was taught in the future mm -hmm. set aside time periods to train what you were taught and then and that all depends on um, mission tempo you know 
or what needs to be done day to day, but there's, I feel like there's that sustainment training is lacking and, and, but in certain places, depending on where, what, where you work, you may have the conditions where you can sustain that training that you went and got. I think, I think from a, and I've thought about this because I know like LA, for example, has really good patrol training. And I've heard several times, and if yeah, this isn't, and if this isn't yeah. correct, then I apologize. But I've heard several times that they they do like one week a month yeah, where they train. I've heard that too. And and I'm telling you that it is obvious because I watch a lot of body cameras because yeah. that's kind of what I do. And they do things that nobody in the other country is doing, and they do it well, you know. Yeah. And it's just, you know, if we could get there, that'd be great. But I think about it from a logistical standpoint because I think like, how would that work here, right? And and I just don't see where that would be possible, you know. And I don't know if it is or it isn't. Uh, I, I Manpower. Think a lot of, I think, and I don't know what you probably know what LA's numbers are compared to other places in the country. But I know that they're what they're the second biggest in the country. They, Maybe. They're bigger than Chicago, I think, right? Not sure. They're probably close. Uh, NYPD blows everybody else out of the water. But, um, I mean, I feel just like nationwide, it seems like when you talk to other LEs, they're be everyone is being asked to do more with less, especially patrol officers, because by and large, they're the ones that are getting into these high-profile incidents because, you know, they're the first first ones there, um, yeah. and, and they don't have any exposure to that stuff. So. You said you said it again, kind of, and you said it back, um, but one thing, and I want to finish up the deliberate habituation thing, but let me say Sorry. make this point real quick, <laughs> is that the right people aren't getting the, the training who need it the most. Now, you know, you could input whatever... To, um, unit in place they get the most training but they're not usually going to be the first ones to to arrive and they need it like everybody should have it yeah, like, but I mean, you you watch a lot of body camera stuff so like you probably know better than anybody else of these high profile incidents where there's like an active shooter or something like that like percentage wise what would you say is the percentage of like patrol is handling this before anybody else really gets there to deal with it well, whether they actually handle it or not is another okay. conversation, but they which are the first ones there, which we're talking about. Yes, which relates to training, you know, and all that. Uh, but it's it's never right because if the special unit is getting the call, it's happened already and it's in progress, and cops are there yeah. because, right? Because they don't just hear about it necessarily usually and just go. Um, well, they haven't heard about it yet. Um, they're usually waiting for some other information to come in and say, yes, we actually do need you, notifications being made, and all that takes time. Um, but, you know, they could get there and they could have to handle it because it could turn into something other than the outside of their capabilities, right? Um, so let me finish up the deliberate habituation. But habituation, you're getting used to, essentially, the things that are occurring in the environment to where it doesn't affect you as much. So active shooters, you might do 10 active shooter scenarios and you might never pull the trigger, but at least you were there and you're kind of familiarizing yourself with the moment, depending on your training and your experience, that could do something for you in terms of heart rate and, and having to provide medical and having to coordinate and communicate and all those things, and that's fine. Well, what we do in that class, Exploiting Accuracy, is we deliberately habituate you to one thing, and that one thing is inducing the physiological responses of stress and demanding accuracy in the process. And that is what it is all day long. Um, you don't have to be a tactical person because 
the most tactical people don't necessarily get involved in engagements, um, right? So we don't need you to know how to clear a room. Um, and quite frankly, you're probably going to be by yourself all day anyways because that's how we run the courses. Hey, th this Are is you. sure that this doesn't happen with other trainings where you're not the guy that pulls Exactly. Right? So, if, you know, explaining accuracy and, and, and if you want to be the guy to pull the trigger a lot in, in an eight-hour period, um, then that is your opportunity to do it. We had an officer who came, who worked all night shift and came. And then that same officer and another officer came back on the second class that we taught and just because they wanted to get more reps in. And it's like perfect because if I put them in the same isolation scenario as I put the cops that showed up on that second day, they are going to perform way better. Like they're going to be shooting 98% while these cops who don't have the information yet are going to shoot 30 probably. And I will say that. Well, I won't say this because I don't want to put out any further information on that necessarily. So people start to game the class if they if they try to come. I knew what was going on? But yeah. Um, so you also said something that was interesting, and this is going to be a discussion for a later time. Um, now we're talking about you said something about more with less, right? Jake, you were in the military, and we were both in the military, but different branches. I think my branch had way less than yours did. <laughs> but if you want to talk about some of your experiences of having to do with, you know, the information that you had available to you, whether and, and how that relates to maybe equipment and having to just kind of have to get the job done with what you have and, and nothing that necessarily you say or you could do and wave a magic wand to make these other things happen was going to happen. Um, so do you have any personal experiences on that? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, back in, we're getting older, man, <laughs> in 06, 07 in Iraq, I mean, when we deployed, we didn't have lights, and uh, you know, and we're, we went to an urban area, uh, second largest city in Iraq, in Mosul, and right off the gate, you know, as soon as we pull up, we're doing left seat, right seat rise with the unit, and we're doing a type of mission where we're clearing multiple houses, buildings, and you know, that first time we didn't have lights because we all of our training was under nods. And they didn't have the equipment at the time. So we had to improvise and, you know, tape mag lights to our rifles and, and go that route. And I mean, doing less that, with like, more. You know, I mean, it was getting out and they're like, man, if we just made a bracket. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> next thing we know, <laughs> Surefire came through and the, the Surefire's where they're at today. And, you know, lights. And that's that's an example. I'm sure yeah. you have some. Yeah, I think I think the reason that I ask and the reason in, in, in Zach said it, more with less is because we can't control the things that we can't control. So if this is the equipment that we have, you know, we can do things to maybe improve the equipment that we have, or we can go get it ourselves. Um, we can train ourselves. Um, but that's the way that it's going to be. And, and unless you know somebody who knows somebody who can make something happen now, then you have to learn to do more with less. There's like, complaining it's only going to get you so far at some point you're going to just have to figure it out yes exactly so another thing that we're going to talk about real quick is finding products that we either think would be a great benefit to officers based on our personal experiences and um, things that just make the most sense to us and so 
we have done that and there are a few brands and companies that we're sort of, you could say, working with um, because we haven't found better options yet. And that's pretty much it. Um, and so, you know, if we get the opportunity to talk about a product that we think would be beneficial, well, first we get our hands on it and we find out if that is actually the case. And if yeah. it, and then whether it is or it isn't, isn't, we give the information out there for cops to decide whether it's helpful for, to them or not. But at the end of the day, that is the goal there is find the things that we think are going to be the biggest benefit to officers and just make it available to them. Um, and if something else comes along in its place that is better, we will no longer talk about that thing and we will talk about the new better option, right? I think that's a fair um, idea. Jake talked about mindset um, and I'm working on a class that is going to be an online class course. Um, I figured that this would be the best way to have this discussion about mindset in a way that people can pull it up and come back to it when they find um, it's convenient for them to do that. I have given classes and will continue to give classes sort of online. Uh, was it Zoom, right? Zoom. So through Zoom, I've done a There's several, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> Zoom, right? Yeah. So I've done a couple there. I did like a covert searching for police officers, and I did like an intro to CQB, basically individual fundamentals. Um, and those went well and those were good. And those are kind of easier because I'm kind of showing and demonstrating and that's kind of necessary. Um, uh, or we could just shoot a bunch of videos of it and put it out there. But it's kind of hard to do that with mindset because mindset is more of a conversation. Um, so I'm developing that online through our website. And when it's complete, um, maybe I'll give myself two weeks. <laughs> I think I can probably get it done in two weeks. Uh, but it's going really well. I think the information that I talk about in there is not something that people usually talk about as it relates to mindset. Um, Jake, Zach, do you guys have anything that you'd like to add before we go? There's so much yeah, to talk about. And, and our goal is to put guys – another. we have many goals, but uh, to put guys ahead of the learning curve, you know, because, you know, we're all going to make – we all made mistakes – that we learn from and hopefully and some people learn from that that's the only way they can learn is by making the mistake and then going forward from there but you know if we're able to put that little nugget out there that puts somebody in a position of advantage prior to a lethal engagement and hopefully you know saves his life and civilians lives you know that we achieved what we want yeah and and the the reason so we have the Instagram I'll talk about that in a second and the YouTube channel and I think those are all just different things right <laughs> like you can if you want YouTube you, you know things you go there for that and Instagram is kind of different it's like you're swiping and you're seeing things and you only have so many characters that you can put in a Instagram post but I think this is and obviously we'll continue to do that but I think this is valuable because you know people can listen to it whenever they have time to do that whether they're driving or whatever the case is and we can talk more in depth about a subject from different perspectives right, right? i mean yeah. we share you know we, our viewpoints on tactics and training align basically but um it's always good to hear different perspectives even if it's our perspective right so that's what this is these are our opinions and our perspective and you as the individual should seek out many uh, opinions and perspectives and that's kind of how you build 
you know, your awareness and you start to decide the things that you believe in based on the information that you've gathered from different people. Right. I got one more thing I want to add, Brad. Uh, training in general. Um, yes, you, you go to the course to learn a new tactic or whatever it is, but the other side of training is learning what you're actually capable of and understanding what you're capable of. So when you're in a situation, you can perhaps, you know, take that in effect and know if you should do something or not, you know. Right, because just because you can doesn't mean you should, should. right? Yeah. And that's another good point. I'm glad you said this. Uh, because that's something that I say all the time, and I especially say it to newer officers, or not even, new, not even newer officers just time-wise, but n unfamiliar officers to tactics, tactics or marksmanship. Because we have officers that come through and they are learning, let's just say rifle, right? They're learning how to shoot the rifle in a three-day period. And it's um, not the most, it's very, in, oh, I should say this, it's very in-depth. But sometimes because you have to kind of get the information through, there's maybe not as much time spent on individuals because that's just not the way it's set up for. That's, a lot of, that's a, how a lot of training is and yeah. like education in general is you have larger groups that you have to get the information out to. So it takes kind of takes away from the individual side of it, of being able to like make sure that person actually grasps and like masters the concept, which I think we do a good job of trying to limit the number of people that we have in a class so that we can really make sure that we get that one-on-one -on -one to make sure that they're getting the information and, and grasping the concept. Right. And so the, the officers might come through there and you could tell which ones maybe have some experience with the rifle. Maybe they're a military or something. And usually they're, Okay, but back to Jake's point, and this is something that I tell these officers at the end of the class, and, you know, you can tell them things like you need to seek out more training, you know, which is usually a common thing that they say, but are they going to? Probably not. I mean, some of them, yeah, we won't get into that. Probably not, um, <laughs> right? Because that's just the nature of, we were all there once, you know, I yeah. mean, so we understand that that's the case. So, you know, I think from a psychological standpoint, the one thing that I could maybe say to get them to understand what they're about to go do is what Jake said is of all the things that you learned today, you saw how you shot at the 50 in the kneeling. You saw how you shot from the prone at the hundred. You saw what your target looked like. So if you learn nothing else, then you should have at least learned what you are capable of accomplishing. Right. And so if you find yourself in a position that is outside of what you think you're capable of accomplishing, you may not be in your best interest to do that thing that you're thinking about doing, right? Because we're talking about accountability, right? And being accountable for all our rounds. And so that's something to consider, right? Yeah. Makes sense? Got it. All right. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the brand, check out our website, kineticconceptsgroup.com. You can follow us on Instagram, kineticconcepts underscore group, and also on the YouTube channel, kineticconcepts underscore group. 118 Celsius, my family, I love them. I can't copy. 118 Celsius, my family, I love them. We got crews coming.